Calling all birders. Join us from May 18th to the 21st, 2023 for the Great Salt Lake Bird Festival. Don't miss the premier event for both amateur and seasoned bird watchers. Enjoy workshops, keynote presentations, and over 200 species of birds. Start planning your trip by visiting greatsaltlakebirdfest.com. That's greatsaltlakebirdfest.com. Hello, welcome to the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. It is the last episode of the month, the last month of the year. Where has all the time gone? I hope your 2022 lists are where you want them to be, or at the very least, you made some great memories getting there. That's what it's, that's what it's all about anyway. I am recording this introduction about a week before this episode goes live. When it does go live, I will be in Costa Rica with my family, hopefully looking at tropical birds and other critters. It is a trip we have planned for many months and it is finally here. So you are not getting the up to the day sort of information that I usually give you. I'm sorry for that. I hope you understand. What I do have for you today is still a new episode with three of my favorite people in the birding world that I know you will enjoy. So buckle up for an end of the year, end of the month, panel featuring our friends Nick Lund, Perbita Saha, and Ryan Mendelbaum. They are insightful and funny, and it is my holiday gift to you. Thanks to all of you for listening this year. You can't imagine how much I appreciate it. Uh, I really enjoy bringing you along on this journey, on this project. We will be back in 2023 for Series 7 of the American Birding Podcast. Can you believe it? I sure can't. Anyway, on to the panel. Here we are. It is the end of 2022. And to put a holiday bow on the year, I'm excited to welcome back a few of my favorite bird Twitter friends, perhaps appropriate as uh, we look at the, the end of Twitter too, perhaps. Anyway, uh, what a panel it is here with me uh, at the end of all things. In reverse alphabetical order, She's a science writer and editor for Popular Science, a Galbatross. I'm happy to have her back. It's Prabita Saha. Welcome, Prabita. Yeah, so exciting and fun to be on the podcast. Great to see you again. Um, a science writer from Brooklyn, Birdmodo creator, Finch aficionado, Science Friday contributor, and current vacationer. Uh, I'm beyond grateful for their time this month as they are in, um, in Minnesota. Uh, Ryan Mendelbaum. Hello, Ryan. Hello, Nate. It's always good to be here. Good to have you. And the author of the ABA Field Guide to the Birds of Maine and the Ultimate Biography of Earth, available for all your holiday book purchasing needs. It's the Birdus, your bird friend and mine, Nick Lund. It's great to talk with you, Nick. Great to talk to you. Good afternoon, Perbita, Ryan, Nate. Let's do it. What a pleasure. What a pleasure. It is 2022. Uh, but I want to talk some 2023 bird of the year with you. Uh, we revealed the bird just just last week, just recently. It will be belted kingfisher. I'm giving you the end of the year panel the opportunity to respond to this news. Huge news, huge news. Um, what say you all about belted kingfisher? Ten out of ten. Uh, ten nice. out of ten. It's one of the best birds there is. I love it for a million different reasons. Yeah. It's it's in your face. It's easy to identify. Yep. It is cool in its habits and its plumage. Uh, it's it's uh, it's an outstanding choice. Appreciate that. Yes. Yeah, such a tenacious species gets everyone excited. And as a lot of uh, ABA fans and followers pointed out, the illustration shows a female belt. It does indeed. Easily it does identified indeed. by the uh, plumage on on her breast. Uh, and that's really awesome. I couldn't think of a more perfect choice. So yeah, thank you, that, ABA. That was intentional by Liz. Um, she called the, the, the title of her work was called uh, Queen Fisher. And uh, yeah, she was, she was stoked about that. She posted a bit of her process on Instagram, maybe. And mm -hmm. it, it, she said that it took her more than 100 hours to complete yeah. the painting. Yeah. Hmm. So I actually have an interview um, with her that is coming up early in the new year. Uh, so, uh, yeah, she'll talk a little bit more about that, too. Cool. I wish she had painted, like, little fishing galoshes onto, onto the <laughs> that <beach. may> be <laughs> coming. That may be coming later. 
I love the belted kingfisher so much. Uh, definitely, I say the great blue heron is my spark bird, but belted kingfisher, like maybe, is the one that pushed me over the edge to really becoming a birder. Um, but I will say that uh, I think a lot of photographers will agree that this one was annoying because they're so hard to photograph. <laughs> yes. They're just yeah. often very far away, and when they are close, they they happen to be quite skittish. Um, and so everybody, when they when you know when you hear that the belted kingfisher is the bird of the year, you're like looking through your photos and you're like, I got nothing. I nothing yeah yeah Yeah, like one blurry photo even when they're like perched on a dead snag it's it's i guess you're right they're pretty distant yeah exactly they always seem to be just a little bit too far away they fly really nice they fly so quick like as soon as you try and get them in photo range like you could sneak up you could sort of be hiding but they just they got a sixth sense for people and they're always gone yeah I'm I'm interested in the I've never been in the room for the ABA bird of the oh, year selection okay. process. Yeah. Um I, I was thinking yesterday about what the last bird chose, you know, like five hundred years from now when you are running out of species, like what <laughs> what the last <laughs> like species laughing chose crush for the basketball like team is in gym yeah. class. Yeah. What well, I mean, you know, House Sparrow, you're probably not in a rush to do House Sparrow, probably not no. in a rush to do Starling. No, probably... But there's probably some poor like what, I don't know. Uh, blue-headed vireo or some like what's going to be what's going to be the last good species when earth is there's no earth anymore and it's (laughs) five hundred years from now left and we're we're remembering some birds (laughs) rather than actually commemorating birds that we see yeah i guess i like the idea of sort of the enthusiasm just dimming and dimming from really cool birds like kingfisher (laughs) to like like yeah that's you know that's all right (laughs) yeah i I wonder if we would actually like redo some birds before we actually (laughs) we got to the end that would be an incredible insult yeah maybe so yeah it's the it's a uh, you know chestnut colored longspur again. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I may be one of the first times that somebody is birding while they are on the uh, oh nice. Podcast, what you got? I'm sitting got? here watching the bird feeders at my in laws' backyard, and these two hairy woodpeckers are going at it. Oh, they nice. are like fighting and chasing each other around, and they've been doing it for like five minutes. Anyway, I'll try not to talk about it too much, but I'm loving it. No, I appreciate <laughs> that you set up uh, outside a window because uh, unfortunately in my office or my my recording studio slash office slash guest bedroom, um, there like the window is right here, but I can't, I don't have any, I don't have a feeder set up. That's got to be, distra- do, do any of you have a feeder set up near your, near your office, near your remote locations? Nope. No, I'm a, yeah. I'm in a dank, <laughs> dank basement. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just moved to a new place uh, on the border of New York and New Jersey. The yard birds are very good. So oh, that's nice. My feeder isn't in front of my desk, but juncos and kinglets will just come and sit on the windowsill, even though I have nothing to offer them there. So <laughs> that's wow. a good sign. That's Great. a good sign for future for future feeding possibilities. I think that what made this year so interesting in birding is that this was really the year of the AI bird song identification app. And, um, you know, there's a lot of um, apps that are sort of around uh, of varying quality. Obviously, the one that folks are using the most is uh, Merlin, although, Mm -hmm. you know, BirdNet sort of has the... uh, the, the upper hand in time. I know that Birdnet and Merlin, they're both Cornell. They're run by different teams. One has sort of more of a research focus. Uh, mm-hmm. That's Birdnet. The other one, uh, Merlin has more of a sort of generalist format. Um, but it's just been really interesting just how the way that they work is that they convert the um, bird audio into those spectrographs, the ones mm-hmm. that you see when you, you know, on eBird, et cetera. Uh, and then it does image identification on those lines. So it's yeah. not actually listening. It's it's actually sound ID is an image ID problem, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. Um, and then from a birding perspective, like obviously I think it's like any tool that's going to um, sort of maximize the ability for people to connect with the birds in their backyards or when they're out um, is amazing. I've definitely um, found it invaluable when I'm out and suddenly a bird appears on Merlin and like, oh my God, like it's just, it's showing me an evening gross beak. I got to go find mm-hmm. an evening gross beak. Um, and then of course there's this sort of like, uh, I think a lot of the seasoned birders are sort of like, well, I, you know, I don't, I, I don't care about the grumpy old like, oh, tech sucks takes. <laughs> I mean, those are, I'm not, going to address those but it's this sort getting of quieter like, and quieter as we go on with this honestly yeah and it gets better but then yeah. there's this take of the like well it's wrong a lot and it's like of course it's wrong a lot like computers are so wrong are you a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <exactly. laughs> um, not you 
specifically Ryan, but I'm speaking like the generalized you. Like <laughs> no, all I'm, of us, we're wrong a lot. I'm wrong a lot. <laughs> um, but I do, I think that my, and now I'm, I face you fourth wall, the audience and say, mm-hmm. you know, like Merlin is right a lot of the time and that's awesome. If Merlin says something and it's like really amazing, just like listen, do a double check. Like on average, people are still going to be a little better. And then if somebody's like, yeah, Merlin might say that you have like, you know, a magnificent frigate bird in your Iowa base backyard, but like they don't, something. you won't hear it. And also maybe like, just believe us when we tell you that that's, that's Probably really not. unlikely. Yeah. <laughs> um, but otherwise, you know, Merlin's amazing. I, I'm really excited about, uh, about how it's kind of changed the game for new birders. No doubt. No doubt. It's made the, made the process kind of fun and not frustrating. I think, I think it's nice to, for, for birders and, and novice birders and I trying, you know, trying to get in, in my own head as, you know, how I was as a novice birder. Like it's intimidating to work on, to work on bird vocalization. Still for me, sometimes it's intimidating yeah. to go to a new place and not be able to recognize anything that's around you. And Merlin kind of, it, it certainly accelerates that process in a way that is really satisfying. You know, you use Merlin for a while and you get the hang of things. And then before long, you realize that you're doing it yourself. And uh, that's, that's really cool, that feedback. Totally. I mean, for me, when I'm walking through the woods, I'd prefer not to have my phone in my hand. There's sort of just a feeling of having your phone in your hand that's not great. Um, but I'll sometimes like, uh, what I will do is maybe put it in my back pocket sometimes and then just mm-hmm. check and see if there was anything I missed. I just don't want to get, I, I don't like the idea of being totally reliant on something like that. Yeah, like, because you might, use it as a bit of a crutch and then never learn it. Um, but I will say that, you know, the fact that you can like press bird name and it goes back to the vocalization and you can be like, oh, this bird that I yeah. heard made that exact sound is really great. And uh, as a learning tool, I think it's just, uh, it's awesome. And I will say, I wrote about it about a year ago when it first came out. Uh, it's only gotten better. And yeah. already Merlin many a time has, uh, especially when I'm doing it live, called up something that I'm like, oh, Acadian flycatcher. Like, mm-hmm. I totally missed that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what's most wonderful about it is, and a little scary in terms of uh, <laughs> AI, but this is the whole crux of the tech. But yeah. it's just bound to get better with, you know, all the experiences we have with it. I, the other cool thing, I think, is bird vocalization is so diverse and so varied, mm-hmm. uh, whether it be per individual or like the ecotone or the mix of species you're listening to. So even if Merlin is giving you a guide to what those species might be, there's a lot you can learn in there. It's not the end all. The answer of a species is not the end all of your birding education adventure. Yeah. So I think people can see it as a tool for that. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think it's, I mean, I think it's unquestionably the story of birding in 2022. You know, mm-hmm. I think people will look back on this year as the year that those bird identification, the sound apps took over. Because I've really, not since eBird have I seen a change, you know, heard a change from new birders as revolutionary as this. I've talked to a million people this year who um, are now listening to birds in their backyards or wherever, um, thanks to Merlin. Mm-hmm. And I think that's great. And, you know, there are kinks to work out, uh, but but I think it's great. You know, as as someone who's been birding for a long time, I do, you know, my feelings are a little mixed um, sometimes. Uh, I think one of the ways it's affected me the most, not, uh, you know, on the one hand, it's helped me identify a ton of birds. You know, I'm just not that good at bird sounds. I, I don't have a natural ear for it like some other birders I know. And so it's been mm-hmm. a huge help for me. Um, but it's also, you know, I, I, I've led, I led a bunch of bird walks this year and there were times when I would look back and almost everybody in the, in the line had Merlin running, um, <laughs> which was cool, except, you know, as a bird leader, sometimes you get to, you get to, you know, if you hear a bird, you don't know what it is. You maybe, uh, you just maybe don't mention it. Uh, but now <laughs> that person in the back of the line is like, Hey, did you hear that? Uh, by the way, was, 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 he's uh, talking about my, my back there. I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I heard that. Um, so uh, it, it's it's been a change. I'm interested, you know, Nate. You mentioned, I think, that you were using it on your BBC on your I was going to um, ask reading this, bird survey. I was going to ask this and to I, the panel. And I wonder how you feel about that because that's sort of, you know, on the one hand, you're you are probably and, and you and I mean maybe all reading bird survey um, uh, route. Uh, listeners are getting more birds than they used to. You know, you, you don't miss mm-hmm. birds, but you also lose some of that hu- human element to it where it's yeah. sort of on you to do it. How, how do you feel about um, using it? I mentioned that I had used, uh, probably on this podcast, that I mentioned that I'd used uh, Merlin on my breeding bird route and just kind of let it run 
while I was like, I didn't look at it while I was doing the point count. I just kind of looked at it afterwards to see if there was anything that I had missed or anything that I had, you know, not recognized. And the, the funny thing about breeding bird surveys is that they're supposed to be a single person observation. Like it, it is supposed to be, even if you have two people, like one person doing the count and one person taking notes, only one person is supposed to identify birds and put them on the list. And some people pointed out justifiably that, you know, maybe having that Merlin running at the same time was essentially a second person. And um, interesting. Yeah. So I, I hadn't thought about it like that, which is part of the reason why, why I did it that way. And um, but I'm, I'm curious whether you guys think that that is that is accurate because I see it. But also, you know, Merlin is imperfect and it didn't really add anything to my to my list um, that I wouldn't have gotten anyway. It might it added a couple birds at a couple spots and maybe those shouldn't have been on the list. Um, but it wasn't like an overwhelming sort of thing. So I, I don't know. Like, it, is is the breeding bird survey going to have to add, you know, no Merlin? It'd be nice to have some, <laughs> you know, guidance from Well, but the goal sort of is thing. to get it right, though, right? At the end of the day. And if you get it more right, yes then and that's no, a good thing. Because there are certain, I guess when they do, they, they run the data, there are certain things that they can take into consideration. Mm. You know, they're, they're basically assuming that not everyone is going to see everything. And, sure. um, or hear everything. Mm. It's mostly hearing with the breeding bird survey. I so, think it's, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'll step in and say that, like, um, as a reminder, like Merlin, the way that it works, uh, or the way that AI, that an app like this would work, because I, I don't know what it, I've never seen the inside, but mm-hmm. um, they are looking at these images of these uh, of this audio and then trying to match it on the most likely one. Mm-hmm. So, um, with that, it's actually like if the bird is really far away, it's like it's actually quite rare that Merlin is um, going to be better than the human ear. It might be yeah. like, better than the human brain. Um, yeah. well, but it's not going to hear things that you hear. won't hear That's unless exactly you're right. plugging it into some turbo microphone. That's right, because I was much better at determining right. distant songs. Like I could pick those out, and Merlin, Merlin might get like a I don't know, like a blue gray gnat catcher that I missed, or um, a Carolina chickadee making a little call that I was, you know, I was focused on something else and I didn't, I didn't hear because my brain just didn't pick it up. So yeah. Hmm. Right. So if Merlin is giving you the advantage of interpretation, why is how is that different than maybe using a field guide? I don't that's know. That's a good point. Yeah, hmm. that's also a good point. Yeah. Yeah, who knows? That that that's you know, those are the big questions and I I I don't know. I would like to see maybe the breeding bird survey kind of consider this cuz yeah. I you know, obviously when Chandler Robbins came up with the breeding bird survey, this was absolutely not something that he was was even, you know, in the back of his mind as as a possibility. And it also brings up the question can you replace the breeding bird survey with a series of sort of point counts or microphones placed right. in certain areas? Like, is the Which breeding bird survey even valid? Yeah. I mean, yeah. That, well, there's no. a lot of conservation <laughs> efforts that happen by sticking microphones out in the woods and yeah, for sure. Interpreting. Can't confirm breeding with a microphone. You can no, do that's probable. Right. <laughs> you can do yeah. pair and suitable habitat, but you can't yeah. do like the. I mean, you know, for like woodpeckers, you can like pick out some woodpeckers like yeah. juvenile <laughs> call or something, but like yeah. you know, the sweet nothings that they're uh, whispering to each other. <laughs> and also, I still see birds. Like the breeding bird survey is still like. The breeding bird survey is like 85 to 90% hearing birds on your stops. But there is yeah. a visual element as well. Like birds fly by and you identify them and you put them on your list. Yeah. And sometimes they're quiet and you would never, Merlin would have never gotten them. I, I don't know. A lot of, lot of questions. I want to shout out, out the haiku box I have at my house too, which records Ooh. when I'm not oh, yeah. there and then sends me an alert when, when there's a new bird outside. Yeah. I want to um, try that. There's, yeah, a, there's that all kinds really of applications. Cool. cool. Yeah. I'm going to leave with one final reminder, which is that if you're on a bird guide and then your guide tells you what the bird is, and then don't say, oh, but Merlin said it was this. Like, <laughs> so annoying. Just Thank let you. the guide be wrong. <laughs> it's like, let the guide be wrong. Or just like, it's like, like go put it on your list. Just like, That's right. I don't That's need right. to hear what yeah. Merlin said. Like, I am probably better than Merlin at identifying like Red Cross bill flying over. Yeah. Like, or, you know, everybody's like, American Goldfinch flies over and Merlin's always like, oh, Red Cross bill. And like no it was an american no, goldfinch no. it's always an american yeah. goldfinch <laughs> yeah ryan never wants to be humbled great right. point never. i love not being my, humbled not my, no, do, not my no computer i love being <laughs> humbled but i have yet to have a time where somebody has said oh but merlin says and then merlin I mean, was right it's always no. like yeah merlin was wrong it happens all the time um but you know okay in the future please if if, if merlin was right then yes that's great but it's not happened yet merlin is right over my guesses all the time on walks i just don't want to hear about it <laughs> <laughs> maybe ryan should be leading your walks yeah, that's right <laughs> maybe so <laughs>
<laughs> More of a visual burger. <laughs> Another trend we've seen in 2022 is, I wouldn't say explosion, but definitely uh, a good wave of female bird-centric studies. Mm-hmm. And even just, not just published research, but just hearing about researchers out there who've shifted their focus or honed their focus to like the female birds of the species that they are in the field, you know, Mm -hmm. tracking and researching. So uh, Nate shared this one cool study that I had actually missed um, and I really enjoyed uh, reading it. Uh, It was on blue tits, which not a species I interact with much, but (laughs) very common in Europe. They're kind of like the chickadees, I would say, uh, across the pond. And Uh, Some researchers in Europe quantitatively measured how often female blue tits sing. So the common misconception is that most female birds do not sing like their male counterparts. But more and more close observation and recording has shown that actually a lot of the birds that are common to us, the females do have songs. They're just different from what we think of as you know, an indigo bunting sitting Mm -hmm. at the top of a tree and belting something out. This study really got into that. It kind of looked at when females were singing, why they were singing, how it was different from the male songs. And in general, the female songs were a little plainer. They were shorter, not as complex or mixing as many notes. Uh, So that's probably why they kind of go undetected to our Mm -hmm. ears. But they had a good variety, you know, they would be singing in alarming situations. They would be singing when their mate was nearby or they would just be singing when they were sitting alone by themselves. So the findings kind of reminded me of um, some research that has been done on superb lyre birds in Australia. Mm-hmm. And similarly, females would have a pretty skilled range of vocalizations um, the lyrebirds, they would even mimic like some raptors, the females, yeah. uh, to um, keep them away from their nests, which is really, really cool. So blue tits, maybe just the tip of the iceberg. We already know because of the female birdsong project um, that female cardinals have like a good range of vocalizations and songs, yeah. quote unquote. Uh, Female blue jays have like their own unique vocalizations as well. So it's like, okay, what are our common feeder birds that where the females are probably also like very vocal and very sing-songy, but again, just not in the way that we expect. Yeah, I agree. This has been a really cool um, science to see develop over the last year, uh, last couple of years. And um, I, I, just any anything that shows that the birds that we have around us are doing, the birds that we consider us to be super familiar are doing these kind of new and, and interesting and fascinating behaviors, stuff that we didn't know about. Um, it's, is always really neat. Um, as you say, you know, Northern Cardinals, Carolina Wrens, a lot of those have, have pretty elaborate female songs and it's always fun to go on a bird walk, a local bird walk, and you hear one of those singing and, um, you know, people always assume that it's just the male that sings and you can point out, but oh yeah, you know, the females counter singing on that when they're singing together, you can kind of hear where one ends and one begins. And yeah, it's, it's neat to blow people's mind with that sort of stuff. And, um, I love seeing all this, this research come out, you know, researchers, ornithologists kind of looking at female birds and, and realize, realizing that they contain multitudes that we didn't realize. It's crazy that we didn't know this earlier it's it's crazy i mean these are not this isn't some you know remote stuff these are these are backyards um it's uh i'm glad i'm glad obviously there's a lot more to learn um and that's uh, that's a good thing but it's just it blows my mind that that we're learning this fairly fundamental seeming thing about backyard birds you know this this late in the game one of my co-founders at the Galbatross Project, uh, Joanna Wu, she's an ornithologist mm-hmm. at UCLA. She's been on um, podcast before. She shares a lot of, you know, the new research that's coming out on female birds and females across other taxa as well. One thing, one reason that we probably didn't know this earlier is because so much of our uh understanding and approach to biology and natural history of species is shaped by everything that Darwin came up with and mm, Darwin and mm-hmm. his, uh, his naturalist cronies came up with 
especially when it comes to sex roles and yeah. the reversal of those sex roles, which is which is often how these discussions of female birds are framed. Even yeah. with the the belted kingfisher, people were talking about, oh, it's a reversal of sexual right. dimorphism because right. the belted the female belted kingfisher is more colorful. But there's been a lot of good discussion, and I think we'll see that continuing around it's more of a cultural take of should we even be looking at sex roles in this mm-hmm. way? Like it's very, it's very limited. It's very defined. And maybe those definitions are wrong to begin with. So yeah. that's, I'm particularly excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. On my walks that I lead, um, I always remind my walk participants that birds are not people. Um, and that you can't just like look at birds and be like, oh, the females are this way and the males are this way. Um, yeah. I mean, especially like, so New York City gets flooded with white-throated sparrows in the winter. Um, and my favorite bird fact is that white-throated sparrows have the the four sexes, right? Right. Um, and that it's often not the, so there's male, female, and then white stripe, gray stripe. But it's like the the dominance is not the male or the female it's the stripe it's the stripes yeah um and then also birds use like zzzw chromosome systems it's just different like there's not they're not they're not even the human concepts of male and female don't link up to these because they're not xx and xy they're zzzw it's totally different yeah (laughs) yeah yeah that's it that's interesting that you you bring up the belt of kingfisher too because we have talked a lot about how um that it being a reverse you know the the female is more colorful than the male how strange is that well i mean it's not strange for a belted kingfisher. It just it just is, and we're we're kind of forced this through our kind of human constructs. And while it, it is sort of useful to talk about it in those terms, because people do kind of understand uh, and sort of intuitively understand those a little bit better. But yeah, even so, it's just it's different. It's just different, and it's okay to just like talk about it as as being different. <laughs> it just is. <laughs> also, ZZZW sounds like a mnemonic for a bird call. <laughs> yeah, it's a black throat of green. <laughs> oh yeah, good one. <laughs> hey, I, I wanted to do the story about parrots that came out Who a couple weeks love ago. A uh, it's an awesome story, and it just it, it people have loved parrots for a long time. Is the is the the basics what I'm getting across here? Some archaeologists, um, and I never realized this, but archaeologists working in the mm-hmm. American Southwest, New Mexico and Arizona, they find parrot bones like constantly um they're always finding always uh, uh including birds like macaws which never ever lived in um the the southwest and it, it points to a, a thriving pet trade parrot trade um throughout you know central america and and the american southwest uh, uh among indigenous people um super cool to think about that um happening they've also found as part of the story this um a macaw breeding center from like 900 AD um where uh folks you know bred macaws and then and put them into this pet trade that existed around the country it's pretty cool but what the what the study was looking at is um so they find all these different kinds of uh, parrots including a thick-billed parrot bones um thick-billed parrots up until the late uh, 19th century or so um had a range that extended into parts of um uh, arizona and new mexico um they lived in the pine forest there they they're currently um, no further north than Mexico. Um, uh, they, um, but they find bones all over the place. And what scientists used to think was that these parrots, hmm. these thick-billed parrots, were probably also part of the pet trade um, and were, you know, traded uh, among the people from, from usually coming from the south. But some scientists looked at all the um, other buildings that were existing, uh, sort of that these people lived in, and a lot of them were were pine buildings. And so what they think is that um, a lot of the thick-billed parrots were actually captured close by. So these were not sort of um, long-distance traded pets, but um, pets that were, you know, thick-billed parrots that existed in what were what were then more mm-hmm. extensive pine forests in Arizona and New Mexico um, and, uh, and were probably captured locally, um, which is uh, pretty cool. You know, I, I love thinking about um, not only the way um, America used to look um, and, you know, how our habitat you know, used to be and what birds used to live there. Um, but also, um, I, I mean, I kind of dig the idea of um, the the love of parrots, you know, <laughs> to their own peril, I should say, for a lot of species, but the love of parrots transcending the, the centuries and the generations um, and people just, uh, people just love them. So, cool story. I think that if I could reintroduce one extirpated species to 
the ABA area, it would probably be, it might be thick build parrot. That might be one hmm. that I have on there. Just because, I don't know, it's, it's, a, it's a big, almost macaw-sized parrot. And uh, we need more of those. It's cool. It's cool to see parrots flying around in like Miami or or LA or South Texas or wherever you wherever you run into them. But man, a big wild green looking parrot in the Chiricahua Mountains when you're looking for trogans and uh, soft bellied flycatchers yeah. or whatever that would be that would be something else. I think they tried to reintroduce the thick billed yeah. parrots and they got yeah. eaten by goshawks every a, time. It's actually yeah. wow, goshawks yeah. really. Yeah, it turns out the goshawks <laughs> figured out exactly where they were releasing the parrots every time oh. and just like. Hmm. Were, they would go and they would wait. <laughs> smart yeah. birds. Yeah, goshawks are pretty smart. Or parrots are pretty dumb. Or the researchers are pretty dumb. Um, or they Many things can be true. Many th- all things, yeah. <laughs> we're, all, we're all very dumb. I'm yeah. curious in the breeding facilities if they, um, they kind of kept the, whether it be macaws or other parrots, if they kept kind of the social structure intact yeah. as they would have in the wild. Because I think one of the... Um, maybe more conflicting parts of having captive parrots is taking them out of that kind of like colonial mm, type mm-hmm. social, you know, living situation, right? Yeah. Um, which is maybe why they bond so well or beautifully with humans. But yeah, no doubt. Um, yeah, I wonder if you know if they had these big outdoor breeding facilities, they kind of kept like mini flocks of the parrots. Yeah, so the one they found was in um, northwest Mexico, what is now Chihuahua, and they said they had an extensive array of cages um, and small adobe structures to indicate hatcheries, um, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And th- and that's, you know, northwest Mexico is still out of the range of, of macaws, mm-hmm. unless I'm mistaken. So, um, so that's still... Um, you know, it, it's a it, it's, it was an industry. Yeah, you know, it was a it was a business. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty wild, wild to think that 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 was as you know it was going on. It's it's really not all that different from the <laughs> the parrot trading industry, both illicit and um and legal, right? Uh, that goes on now. Yeah, people love them. People love parrots. Yeah, who doesn't? It's a pretty. Um, when I went to Costa Rica, we had macaw on our. You know, everybody's like, "Oh, you got to see the macaws in Costa Rica," and I sort of like rolled my eyes. I was like, "I can see macaws at you know." Wild Birds Unlimited, not really, but you know, I can see, I can see them at the They're international Wild Birds Unlimited, right? The, the pet store, and so <laughs> I didn't think of anything of it. And then you know, when you go to Costa Rica, there are places like some of the best birding spots also happen to have macaws. And mm-hmm. so when the first scarlet macaws flew over the road, I was just like, "Oh my oh. god!" Like <laughs> yeah. it was totally different than I thought it would be, and my mind was blown. And then the rest of that day, I was talking to my guide. I was like, "We got to see the parrots again. Like I got to <laughs> see those. That was the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life." Like. Yeah, it's totally different. I, I was on a road trip this past, past weekend. We took my four-year-old over to Vermont, and it's a four-plus-hour mm-hmm. drive. And he's four, and he was in hell. He was having the worst <laughs> drive ever, my son. God bless him. And so we pulled off We pulled off the road. There's random uh, uh, exit in New Hampshire. Didn't know anything that was there. Trying to get some food. Uh, couldn't get food. It was, like, too busy. And so we were just having a terrible time. And I look across the street into the this glass window, and I, I'm like, "Is there, are those parrots <laughs> and my it was a pet store and my son loves birds and parrots and we went over and just walked through their parrot display and you know whatever you think about the pet trade and, and captive parrots i get it but this saved saved our <laughs> lives because he was in good he was completely excited and enthralled by birds and so um look there are minor victories in the pet trade as well i guess is you know it's funny um i was in nashville uh this past weekend for the bird of the year reveal party and um one of our board members aba board members chris sloan lives in nashville and so we had this uh thing at his house on on friday night uh before we started the the event the weekend event proper and um he actually has a small flock of parrots that are rescue parrots from uh Hmm. you know various organizations that take parrots away from bad situations and then try and find homes for them we went down there and we we saw his rescue parrots and he's got like this little room for them with all these little climbing apparatus and it's a couple cool. of Amazon parrots and a couple macaws and an, an eclectus parrot, um, which for which is another one of those uh, sexually dimorphic parrots for people who are following along. Maybe there's a little continuation between some of these, but the like the males are bright green and the females are kind of this really cool maroony purple. But you know they're 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 parrots that have seen some stuff. They have been in difficult situations. A couple of them, and some of them are just, you know, people get parrots and they don't realize how long they live and how long that 
parrot is going to be part of your family. And then um, it's still, you know, neat to be around those birds. How It's amazing how Uh-oh. big they are, especially in the macaws. I mean, that's a three foot long bird. And ah, it was just a really cool experience to see those birds close up. And even though they're, however you may feel about the pet trade, um, however you may feel about captive parrots, um, being up close to a bird like that is, is still kind of a special experience. Yeah, I feel like we're all like like the the summary here is that looking at birds is awesome and looking at awesome <laughs> yeah, birds yeah. is extra it's even awesome. More awesome yeah. Um yeah, I mean I think that like I have no the pet trade is like uh it's a huge uh nut that my I have not cracked yet in my takes or opinions and right. I don't know if I'll Agreed. go there. I'm sure there's a lot to be said on and and always uh but I think we can all agree that yeah, looking at an awesome bird is awesome and clearly <laughs> that has been the case for centuries yeah, <laughs> yeah. amen and people feel amen. the same way yeah yeah well uh let's let's move on to our final uh final portion of the the program because uh i feel like we're pressing our luck with every minute that we continue to to do this um, we're having some technical issues folks i'm gonna leave that part in because uh the vibe is right. uh, a technical issue vibe anyway uh it is the end of the year it is a time to kind of look back at the year that was and your experiences year and look forward to uh, you know what might happen in 2023 but but before we go on to 2023 I want to talk about 2022 with you all um what was your favorite most influential most interesting birding moment of yes. your year that's the question yes I'm, I'm going to go first cuz I'm so it. excited i i since i started birding all those years ago, I have been wanting to get to 700 ABA mm. birds. Um, I started before Hawaii was uh, included, and so that's the the marker that I set then, and it continued. Food. And I started the year uh, at 697, which is dang close. So I, it started. I was it was February, and I saw there were four vagrants down in the Lower Rio Grande Valley that would all be lifers. Would put me over the edge. I booked a ticket. My buddy Ed Jenkins decided the night before that he was going to come with me. So we were like all jazzed up, excited. I got down there. One of the birds, the crimson collared grosbeak, uh, was MIA, but um, the but three others were still there. We had a couple days to to nail him. We got the bat falcon immediately, mm. feeling great. Got the golden crown warbler immediately feeling great went down to the uh, University of uh, South Texas or uh, what is it down there went to the University UT Rio I'm, Grande I'm Valley trying, yeah UT Rio yep. Grande Valley um, we walked up people are high-fiving having oh, just God. seen the social flycatcher people are, sh- are are celebrating we walk up and they're like I don't oh oh it was just here gone didn't see we stayed there we stood at in this campus for two days (laughs) our legs were hurting there was nothing to do this bird we did not see it so we i went back to maine at 699 and i was you know i was like i don't i don't have a plan for 700 i have no idea what am i gonna where what is gonna happen a week later in february a, a common gull uh, from, you know, Europe somewhere, shows up in Eastport, Maine. My buddy and I, Doug Hitchcocks, jump in a car, speed through everything. Coughs could not have caught us. Um, we're there. We pull up. It's it's blowing and windy and, and rainy. Out in the distance, we see probably 10,000 gulls <laughs> flying around. We're like, oh, sweet God. Oh. Yeah. And then we look down, and there it is. And there's number 700 sitting right in front of us. And we, we saw it perfectly. Um and it was just, it felt so great. It was so cool to be standing at a Rosaka in South Texas and then a week later be standing, looking at Canada uh, across the <laughs> bay. Uh, and it, it was sort of everything I love about birding. And I did it, 700. Congratulations. 700. So that was my, that was my That's highlight awesome. of the year. You know, Nick, I saw that social flycatcher just last month. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful. It's wonderful been there for news. a year. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it, it was there. It was the classic, like, obviously there right before we yeah. were there. People saw it. You know, we would take a bathroom break and then people would see it. And people <laughs> saw it as soon as we left to go to the airport. Like, it was brutal. Yeah. That's rough. Oh, no. That's rough. I feel it was important for you to get your 700th bird in Maine. I, I agree. mean, you're, you're just agree. such a Maine boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it worked out perfectly uh, in retrospect. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's good. That's a good story. That's a great story. Wait, so your 700th bird was common goal common goal yeah no. 
My, I, yes. I was, uh, I, I had a plan to get a tattoo of my oh, 700th okay. bird, no matter what, whatever it was. And this bird's like, it's almost too boring to, uh, yeah, right. to get. I, no. I, I have a tattoo of, I have a tattoo of kitty wakes already. And it's like, you, basically, you, you could just touch one of those up. common goal, it would get some skin <laughs> I guess, I will, it's I true. love common goals. They're, I mean, it's funny because, uh, Brooklyn is like an unusually good place to see that specific bird. Like, uh, it's hmm. nearly annual. Uh, and it's like it's like a, this is like an ABA super rarity. Like people don't see common goals anywhere except like Brooklyn, Boston, and then a couple other places. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and you know they see mu goal on the West Coast all the time, but uh, Newfoundland, short, I guess short build goal, whatever. I know. Um, <laughs> Bratchy re- <laughs> Uh Yeah, and I should clarify. Sorry, I was talking about common goal, the UK one, not short build goal. Which <laughs> exactly is the West yep. Coast one. Sorry. Yep. Anyway, I love that's such a great bird, common goal. Great one. Great bird. I love it. I was so pleased it was there. It was very cute and adorable. It had that sort of look. Um, but, um, you know, um, not the best tattoo. <laughs> I guess I can go next. Talk yeah. about for Brooklyn. Um, so I actually had a really great year for birds. I took my first international birding vacation. Um, saw lots of cool stuff. But I think that my bird of the bird experience of the year is... Um, for the past two years, if you would ask me what my nemesis bird was, I would say black-throated gray warbler. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a somewhat regular vagrant to New York State, um, but every time, you know, I've probably two or three times gone and like totally just when they va- when they're vagrants here, they're like it's just hard to pin down. They're at the tops mm-hmm. of trees, or they're never never around. Uh, and then I went to California, and I was like, "This is it. I'm going to see black-throated gray warbler." <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, and then I was there for a week, and I was in plenty of like perfect black-throated gray habitat. <laughs> and like, I know what they sound like. I missed it. Like, I I don't know wh- how I missed it. Like, maybe I wasn't trying hard enough. Um, but then this past April, on like just a not like obviously not a good migration day. Uh, I'm just sort of like ambling around prospect park not doing anything and then it's like uh, i look up in the top of like literally the tallest tree in the park um somebody later said they were pretty sure it was the tallest tree in the park and there's a warbler up at the very top of the tree and i'm just like what is that it's like this pale bird and like it's got a black throat and i was like okay maybe it's like a chickadee but then it has like a black stripe down the side and i was like oh my god what was that and it disappeared and i was like sitting there racking my brain i was like okay what can that be not a golden wing warbler not a chickadee it's got to be a warbler oh my god it's got to be a black throated gray warbler (laughs) where'd that bird go oh my god and so i like alert i'm like send this like two paragraph message to the like local bird list like i don't know what this is it's like the only bird this can be is black throated gray warbler but like pretty sure it's not but like please come prove me wrong uh (laughs) and then obviously you know birders start coming you know it's like I I'm taking meetings from the park because I I want to <laughs> figure out what this was. Uh and then finally like, you know, an hour later, uh Linda Ewing, who's like an awesome Brooklyn birder, is just like, "I think I have it." And then we all go over there and the bird is there and I like vanquished my nemesis bird <laughs> yes. with a Brooklyn County record black-throated gray warbler. Wow. And then of course the kicker is I think you all know I'm like a avid bird photographer and that was the day that my camera was in the shop <laughs> and I have one blurry picture of this bird oh, taken with my like <laughs> broken backup camera to bird, tell the story. Uh, it is a one star. I mean, I when I <laughs> oh, sent man, it, the, the reviewer was like, "How you can't rule out anything with this photo?" And I was like, <laughs> "No, no, 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 no. Trust me, trust me. I know what it is." Uh, but yeah. lots of people ended up getting really great looks of the bird. You know, it posed for photos. I ended up getting one more photo that it's a two star photo. Um, and uh, I since then I was in Arizona earlier this year and got beautiful photos of black throated gray warbler then. So I have a little framed photo of black throated gray warbler on my wall. It's not my black throated gray warbler, but you know, it's a really cool experience <laughs> to be able to vanquish my memesis in my home patch. And it was awesome. Good stuff. Good Funny stuff. how that Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. That's Very awesome. Good story. Uh, I had a lot of misses this year. It was just not <laughs> a life year for me. I didn't travel much, so that could be part of it. Um, but yeah, I just, there were good birds and I dipped. Uh, I didn't go out to see that, um, black-throated gray, uh, that Ryan found, but there were some Kirtland warblers in Cape May. I'm in New Jersey again. Um, and, uh, there was a fly, a scissor-tailed flycatcher in the Hudson Valley of New York that I went to chase and just didn't see it. So it was a rough year. Um, probably the best 
adventure I had was I did pop up to Maine for the Stellar Sea Eagle with a couple of friends from the Feminist Bird Club. We went up there in February. Um, I think Nick was out of town, but he gave us some tips on where to look for it. And we stood exactly where people had seen it every single day on that bridge and no luck. Oh, and no. then this was the be day happy after we drove down, it was seen Oh, again. no. Uh, no. So, um, I know there's a lot of buzz about it maybe coming back this winter. Yeah, I don't crossed. know if it's already been seen, but I would probably try again if it, if it did come back. Yeah, there's been one unconfirmed sighting from uh, an island in Maine that has not been reseen. But you know, for all the for all the people that saw that bird, it was hard to see and really hard mm-hmm. to predict um, mm-hmm. where it was going to be at any given time. So I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, I hope you got some hot chocolate and a lobster roll or something. <laughs> I ate pizza in Maine. That was weird. Oh um, no! Okay. But no, uh, it was it was well worth it. And yeah, I mean, stellar seagull. It should do what it wants to do. Like, it can't right. wait around for birders. Yeah. So, right. no. I, I feel that. It's true. It's a pretty cool bird. <laughs> awesome bird. I also made the trek. I I won't, I don't want to make Kirby feel bad. So, I won't say No, how it's okay. I saw your photos. <laughs> I already <laughs> know. ways it could have gone. And if it wasn't that way, then... <laughs> it's pretty cool. Bird's a pretty uh, cool bird. Yeah. What about you, Nate? Pretty cool. I had some pretty cool uh, birding experiences this year. I got to go to Panama with an ABA trip, and that was neat. We saw the ground cuckoo, which is uh, you know one of the one of the mm, top yeah, birds. I heard about that. I think people were talking yeah, I about think that. Probably the one of the best birding experiences I had was back in spring. I talked about it on the podcast. I talked about all my birding experiences on the podcast. So I feel like folks may have already heard this one, but um, I got to speak at a, the Lesser Prairie Chicken Festival. This is their inaugural year out in Western Kansas. It's not a place that I would necessarily go to bird for the most part, but you know, lesser prairie chicken is only there's only a few of them around. Kansas has the the highest density of lesser prairie chickens uh, in the world, so going out there and getting out to a blind, which is really nothing more than a tent that you have (laughs) cut up a little camp folding chair inside of, and you look out the out the little slats. Um, getting out there in the pre-dawn hours is so cold, but it's the, like the darkest sky mm. I've ever seen. And you could see so many stars and you could actually see the Milky Way, which was unbelievable. I thought that that was kind of fake, uh, you know, a, um, a <laughs> trick of long exposure uh, cameras, but you can actually see it uh, in some places. And that was really neat. And just kind of as the sun kind of rises and hearing the birds come on and and watching them go out to their their lek and um, we had a really cool lek that had both greater and lesser prairie chickens on it. Oh, so we cool. had, hmm. had both of them and one like weird hybrid bird that like couldn't decide which prairie chicken it wanted to display with. <laughs> it would like go and try and mess around with the lesser prairie chickens and then they would just sort of ignore it and it would <laughs> get bored and then would go over to the greater prairie chicken. The great prairie chicken just like go after it like i hated that bird hanging around hmm. was it um, actually well, a hybrid buddy. or it was yeah just it was a hybrid oh. so it was like intermediate oh. in size intermediate in color hmm. its uh throat patch was like a weird kind of mix of the kind of magenta and uh, orange you know lesser prairie chicken is kind of more purplish and greater prairie chicken is very bright orange and so it was kind of between there it's it's vocal it's vocalization you know the greater prairie chickens do that big ooh kind of vocalization and the lesser prairie chickens do something a little bit different too. And it was like this weird kind of squealy sound that apparently no female prairie chicken would ever find attractive at mm. all. Cause it was like <laughs> completely poor bird, but um, it was, it's just a really cool experience uh, to be out there early in the morning and, and see these birds and watch them display. And um, yeah, it, that was probably one of my, one of my best birding experiences of the year. Uh, certainly one of those memorable ones. It was a good life bird too. Good ABA life bird as well. And they were just yeah, listed on the endangered yeah. species list, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was supposed to go to the Oklahoma Festival for like two years, but it got canceled because of the pandemic. And then um, they, they didn't have any places to go look at the prairie chickens anymore in those two years. So they kind of had to axe the festival. And so the folks in Kansas, in the Audubon Society of Kansas, um, stepped up and uh, found a bunch of leks where people could go to. And uh, it was a really great festival. Lots of folks there. If, people want to see lesser prairie chicken i would definitely encourage them to to go to that festival it's really nice well done and there's kansas still has quite a few lesser prairie chickens um it's not too difficult to, to see them and they, they'll get you on the birds and it was it was really neat it was a yeah, neat experience i would do that that's awesome yeah all right Perbita, let's, let's go, go. Yeah, yeah you should go you should go yeah, yeah i'm, I'm gonna okay. camp. Okay. you should have uh if anyone's listening who is part of the uh great lesser prairie chicken festival you should have ryan and Perbita and nick all 
speak at the festival in, in concurrent years. So you can go, go, this, they'll, they'll give a team presentation and then they'll uh, <laughs> they take them all out. To yeah, the I'll take all my expertise <laughs> about uh, Brooklyn and tell right. you all about, uh, I can talk, talk about, about the Heath Hen. Talk about Finches. Yeah, Finches. Ooh. Yeah. Heath Hen. I'll talk about being an outcast that no one wants to, <laughs> yeah. to know. What if, <laughs> I, 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 I know you'll have a, have a bird talk in there that you could that you could. Do I will learn to imitate the Lesser Prairie Chickens there, call perfect. and yeah. fool Merlin sound ID. Perfect. Yeah. How can, how can you not want that? You want that. Audubon We're Society so of Kansas. Skilled. Oh, by the way, I was, that is a good idea for like a competition sometime. Ooh, like, can yeah. you fool Merlin? Hmm. You know, oh, like, probably. uh, are you good enough at making a bird call? You can fool Merlin. Like Some of those sure guys in Central episode. South America can definitely do that. I bet they could. I bet they could. Yeah. Well, anyway, we we we've had some technical difficulties on this program. We have finally, finally, at long last, come to the end of it. Um, and I want to thank uh, Ryan and Perbita and Nick for bearing with me as we figured all this out. Hopefully, what we have is as a good episode for the end of the year. Uh, I want to thank you for your time. I want to wish you a happy CBC season. Uh, happy holidays. And uh, to everybody who is listening, please uh, have a have a great end of the year. We will not be here for the last week of the year. I'm going to take a take a break for the podcast for that one. We'll be back in 2023 with a lot of new stuff. Um, thank you to all three of you. Um, yeah. Happy holidays. Have a great 2022. Have a great 2023. Thank you, Nate. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much, Nate. Yeah. Bye, Ryan. And yeah. And thank you. See you in 2023. <laughs> thank you for all the post-production you're gonna do on this oh my god it's gonna be a mess but we're i gonna can't do wait it. the we're listeners gonna are gonna hear this podcast and be like oh my oh, god it sounded, it sounded great so great and then yeah they're gonna hear us talking about this and be like what are they talking about so The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. The ABA provides many free resources for the birding community, including this podcast. And all we ask in return is that you help support them by joining the ABA or perhaps giving a little bit to our year-end appeal. You get a lot of other stuff. I don't have to repeat it now, but know that the ABA is a membership and donation-driven organization, and we need your support to help us going on into the future. If you're able to give, please consider doing so at aba.org slash give or you can get information about joining or get a gift membership to the birder in your life at aba.org slash join. AI has gotten great at identifying bird photos and sounds, but can they write bird jokes? For this week's credits, I asked an AI generator to write bird watching puns for the credit. So just if these are bad, blame, blame the robots. Executive director of the ABA and executive producer of the podcast is Nikki Belmonte, who wants to know why was the bird watcher cold? Because he was out in the Falcon. I don't, I don't know if I get that one. Technical production is by John Lowry, who asked, why did the bird watcher get in trouble at work? It's because he kept telling bird jokes instead of working. That one hits a little bit close to home. Additional help with social media comes from George Munoz. Why did the bird watcher's binoculars fall apart? Because they were old and had seen better days. I actually see where they went with that one. That one's not too bad. You can find us online at ABA.org on social media most everywhere is American Birding Association, but on Twitter we are at ABA. Why did the Birdwatcher's shirt have feathers on it? Because he was a real bird nerd. I, I guess my job is still secure. Questions, comments can come to podcast at ABA.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thank you so much for listening this year. We'll be back in a couple weeks. See you then.